Good morning, everyone. Hey, let's, let's thank our praise team for a great job this morning. Thank you, guys. So glad to see each and every one of you here today as we start a new series called Bless. Um, I, I think it can be a life-changing series if we will listen to what God has to say to us. And friends, I believe God has some things to say to us. I, I think God wants to impress upon us some important truths and I encourage you to come uh, to each week as we go through this series because I think God is going to reveal something to you that you need to know. Um, today, I, I got a question for you. How many of you ever lost anything? Anybody ever lost anything? Um, now, I, I got problems. I, I, I just lose things. And in my mind, I just, I'm not thinking or put something down. Reading glasses. Anybody else here have a problem with reading glasses? Anybody? I mean, I got like 30 pair of reading glasses, and sometimes I was like, where, where are all my reading glasses? Um, and I'm always losing them. How about anybody here lost keys? Anybody in here ever misplaced your keys? Um, you know, how, how about this week? Did anybody misplace a key this week? Oh, we do have a, a key that has been misplaced. Did you find it? Yes. Amen. Amen. How about a wallet? Anybody ever lost a wallet? Okay? And you know when you lose your wallet, you, then you got to call all your credit card companies and tell them about it. And then you find the wallet like a day after you uh, called everybody, you know. That's a pain in the rear. Um, how, about, how about your phone? Anybody ever lost your phone? Anybody? Um, I tell you, I, I, I have a little thing on my, now, I, now I've lost my Apple Watch, <laughs> but I have a thing on my Apple Watch to help me find my phone. I need a thing on my phone to help me find my Apple Watch. Um, dogs, have any of you misplaced a dog? Maybe the dog misplaced you, I don't know. But, you know, there, there have been moments where I've thought, you know, if I accidentally left the gate open and Luna got away, <laughs> then I'd be in trouble and I'd be sleeping in the doghouse. Uh, you know what I mean? You know, as a parent, how many parents do we have in here? Okay. Do any of y'all watch ID channels? All right. So... You know, it's not like it used to be. I think when we, years ago, parents probably weren't as paranoid about their children. But now, now you start hearing about all of these things. And years ago, when the girls were still young, Christy uh, left to go to church early. I, I, don't, I don't know. I can't remember why she left early. But um, I didn't have to be there as soon as she did. Uh, so I was at the house. I was watching a football game. Now, I thought she was taking Alyssa and Sydney with her. I did not hear her say, don't forget to bring Sydney with you. I never heard it. Now, listen, ladies, if your man is watching a football game, you've got you've to like walk in front of the TV with a sign that says, I need to tell you something, <laughs> okay? Um, 
Because sometimes we just don't hear. Am I right, guys? Okay, so I'm not the only one. So about an hour later, I leave to come to church to teach my class. And I'm, I'm happily, gleefully teaching my class. And Amanda Avery, this is back when Chris Avery was our children's minister, she noticed that Sydney was not in her class. So she asked Alyssa and said, where is Sydney? And then Alyssa went to find Christy, who was some, I don't know if she was teaching or she was just in a class, and she said, Sydney's not here. And then Christy panics, and Alyssa calls Sydney, and she calls her at home and says, are you at home? Now, come on, you know. <laughs> Sydney had been at the house in the home office. She had the headphones on. She's playing a computer game. She is happy as a lark until she gets this phone call that says, hey, you're home alone. And um, so then she, she realizes she's home alone, and she goes, and for some reason the wind had blown the back door open, and our little dog Olive was out in the backyard. So Sydney panics. She runs back in, locks the door in, in the home office. And uh, so I'm teaching my class, and in the middle of my lesson, Christy pokes her head in. Where's Sydney? Did you leave Sydney at the house? I gotta go. <laughs> it's like, and I'm thinking, I don't know where she is. Wasn't she with you? You know? Anybody else here ever have those kind of conversations? Don't leave me hanging, guys. Come on, don't leave me hanging. So Christy goes home, and I, I still don't think if Alyssa had never called Sydney, she'd have never known. She'd have been still playing that video game uh, when we got home. And uh, yet I still got in trouble. Uh, and, and Sydney, now Sydney was a, a crazy one because sometimes she would like to play hide and seek at inappropriate times. Like you're in the mall and you're in a store shopping and looking around the clothes and you turn around and Sydney's gone. Okay, this is, this is every parent's worst nightmare, right? And, you know, you're calling her name and she's not saying anything. And, you know, you're, you're searching and, you know, panicking and, and uh, you know, where is she? And she's quiet as a mouse. Our panic meter's rising and she's enjoying this, okay? And finally we find her hiding behind some clothes rack behind the clothes and, of course, she had no clue how that made us feel. But missing a child sends a panic into us. Anybody been there? Anybody been there? You turn around, your kid's not there. Oh, my goodness. Losing a child is devastating. And according to an FBI report from 2011, a child goes missing every 40 seconds in America. And approximately 460 children are reported missing every year. 460,000, did I say that right? The recovery rate for those children, and a positive thing, is 97%. But think about those parents when their children go missing. When a parent loses a child, it is heartbreaking. We, we, we wouldn't have the same emotion about losing the money or the glasses or the phone, but losing a child. And friends, you could say that God has lost children too. You see, he created man in order to have a relationship with us, 
His design was that we all have a connection to him. But sin entered into the picture and sin separated us from God. And so in a sense we became lost and we walked away from God. And God's priority is to find that which was lost. Just like any parent, when your child is lost, all that's on your mind is finding your child and getting your child home safe and sound. God wants to recover his children who have been lost. And God's way of doing that is through those who have already been found. The problem is that sometimes those of us who have discovered God's love and have accepted that and have received his forgiveness, we don't take seriously the need to be involved in that process. We think it's the job of the preacher or the elders or somebody with some theological degree that they should be doing this. Many people feel like they're not qualified. What if the person asks a question I can't answer? Or we, we don't think we have the time. I mean, we're so busy. I don't want to take up time to get into a Bible study with other people. Possibly we're afraid of the rejection or the kickback. You know, our culture isn't very friendly to Christians these days who actually want to talk about Jesus. But what if our daily routines could be used by God to change the world? And maybe change some people around us. And this series called Bless is a series about five everyday ways to love your neighbor and change the world in the process. Now Dave and John Ferguson wrote a book by the title Bless. And they are brothers who are both pastors at a community Christian church in Chicago. And I would recommend that you go online and order this book. It is a simple way to remember that each of us has an ability to influence those around us. Each letter of the word, bless, is a reminder of the way to love and bless the world around us. By just living our life in a way to bless people, we can help recover them for God. So today... I just want to introduce this idea to you, that God cares about the lost, and he wants us to help him recover what he has lost. That's, that's basically the message today. Now, that doesn't mean you can fall asleep right now. Don't do that, but that's the message. The scripture is clear about this truth. From beginning to end, the Bible tells us about God's efforts to create a relationship between himself and his crowning creation, mankind. Jesus spoke about this truth often. And Luke recorded three parables in a row that Jesus told to teach this very truth. And this morning, I want us to revisit those three parables so we can be reminded of how much God wants to recover that which has been lost. And as we think about the, the, these parables, we're reminded that these parables were prompted by an accusation. The religious leaders didn't like the idea that Jesus was hobnobbing with 
local sinners. It was not, not right for a religious leader to hang out with sinful people. No good religious leader would be caught dead spending time with those people. So knowing what they were muttering amongst themselves, Jesus told a parable, and you can follow along in Luke chapter 15. We're going to begin in verse 4. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them, doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. And he goes home, and then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. And then Jesus goes on to say, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So in answering this accusation against Jesus, why are you hanging out with sinners? Jesus uses this culturally very familiar situation to prove a point. He uses a shepherd's relationship with his sheep to illustrate God's desire to find those who have been lost. Those of us who have animals will tell you that uh, sometimes you love an animal almost like a child. Anybody with, with me on that? You, you have a pet, and that pet becomes so important to the, the environment of your family. You would even put yourself at risk to save your dog or your cat. I've seen videos of people where some predatory animal like a mountain lion or bear is, you know, coming after their, their pet and these people run out there and, and they attack the, the animal to save their pet. Now, as we're sitting back logically thinking, we're like, you're risking your life for an animal. Yeah, because you love that animal, right? So the shepherd in the parable leaves the 99 sheep in the field to go find the one that was lost. And it wasn't just a financial decision, although that probably did factor into it. I mean, that's, that's how they made their living. He made an investment in that sheep, but more than that, he cared about that sheep. It's interesting to me that he looks out amongst the hundred sheep and he knows one of them's missing. I don't know that I would be that good with my math. But he was overjoyed when he found that sheep so much so that he threw a party to celebrate and invited everybody over. So again, Jesus uses that story to illustrate God's feelings. He and the angels of heaven rejoice when a lost sinner comes to repentance. God doesn't just give up on the sinner. He goes out in search of the sinner. He puts out an all-points bulletin to his servants, telling us to look for his sheep that are lost. And so, friends, if we have someone that we care about, someone that we love, someone that has drifted away from God or someone that doesn't know God, I think we all need to know this truth. God cares about them 
more than we can care about them. And God isn't giving up on them. Now the next parable is about something lost as well. We pick up in verse 8. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. And in the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So again, now this parable, you have a woman. She has ten coins. One of those coins goes missing. Ten percent of all of her money is gone. You can sense her panic as she searches her house. Where could it be? She, she looks in every crack and corner of the home. She lights her lamp so she can see better. And when she does finally find it, she is so relieved and grateful that she too throws a party. Interesting that, you know, shining light on something can often help us find that which is lost. Jesus said, in essence, this is how God feels when a lost sinner comes to him in repentance. So these two parables, the lost sheep and the lost coin, certainly would have been enough to reveal how God diligently searches for those who are lost in sin. But the final parable reveals the heart of God as a father. And I don't think we should miss the idea of a loving father. It's the parable of the lost son. It could be called the parable of the loving father. As we read this story, I want you to read through the eyes of the father. So in verse 11, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided his property between them. Now from the father's perspective, we don't see the father trying to stop the son from doing what he probably knows is a foolish thing. He allows his son to go and figure things out on his own. He gave him what he was asking for. Now, the father didn't have to do that, but he did. And it wasn't long before the son began to learn some of life's lessons. We pick up the story in verse 13. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. And so he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. Now remember, he's a Jewish boy. Pigs are unclean animals. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And when he came to his senses... He said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to, my, to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And so he got up and he went to his father. Now, the son figured it out, at least in part. His logic told him, 
It wasn't worth, he wasn't worthy of being called a son anymore. And he may have been right about that. I mean, and, and for him, where he was, he got the worst job a Jewish boy could have, feeding the pigs. And if that wasn't bad enough, he was, you know, so hungry, he's wanting to eat the pig food. Now this, after he had gone to this place and he had all this money, and his so-called friends and his party lifestyle quickly became too much of a financial burden. And he basically blew it all. And so now he's reasoning that the best thing he can do is go back to his father and ask his father if he can just be a servant in the father's house. He doesn't, he doesn't have to live in the mansion. He can live out there, but he won't starve to death. This is life and death for him. And so he headed home, ready for rejection, but hoping to at least have a place over his head and food to eat. And this is the part of the story that we don't need to miss. The second part of verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to the father, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. The father reacted in a way that really shocked this son. And not only him, but his older brother. We're not going to read really about the older brother today, but he wasn't too happy. But instead of treating the boy like a servant, instead of berating him for making a fool of himself, he welcomed him home, throwing his arms around him, kissing him, throwing a party in his honor. And the part that I love is there in verse 20, where it says, while the son was still a long way off. His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to him. Now that father had every right to make that son grovel. He had every right to reject his son's request. He had every right to send him away with nothing. But he was a father who loved his son. His son had been like dead to him, not so much in his heart, but because his son had rejected him and had left. His son chose to leave. As a parent, can you imagine what that would feel like? That your son or your daughter wouldn't want anything to do with you. And then to have them back in your home, and to be able to love them again. The total joy and relief in that father is palpable. Um, Rosie Grinder, 
And I do want you guys to pray for the Grinder family because they've gotten some really difficult news about uh, Bob and Rosie's daughter, Dale's sister. We'll do that at the end of the service. But Rosie grew up in Germany um, right at the end of World War II. Before she was born, her older brother Norbert had gone off to war you know, uh, to fight on the Russian front. Now, they weren't what you would call Nazis, but they were, he was forced into serving in the army. The family got a notification that he had died in battle, and her mother grieved the loss of her son. And so when Rosie was a young teenager, her mother would try to help people in the community and by making bread, and many times uh, homeless folks, poor people would come to the house and they'd ask for some help and she would give them some bread. So it, it was not unusual when that morning came and a knock came on the door and Rosie went to the door and she opened the door and there's this man in shabby clothes, you know, long beard, just dirty and filthy and he asked for her mother and so she went to get her mother and her mother went to the door and when her mother opened the door Rosie heard like the sound of something hitting the floor and she rushed back to the door to find her mother on the floor the door opened and the man standing there Rosie's thinking this man has done something to my mother. So she's starting to call out the neighbors and call for the police. Help me, help me, help me. Neighbors came over. They got a wet washcloth. And Rosie began to put it on her mother's face to revive her. And, and, and her mother, when she came to, said, Norbert, Norbert. And Rosie knew Norbert was her brother's name, but she also knew he was dead. When they revived her totally, Rosie learned what had happened. The man at the door was Rosie's long-lost brother, thought to be dead. He had never been dead. He had been in a Russian prison camp all those years. And he had escaped from that camp in Russia and had walked all the way home. The entire neighborhood came out for the party that her parents threw because their son was dead and he is alive again. The whole community was out in the street dancing and celebrating. Can you imagine how Rosie's parents must have felt? Their son was dead and he's alive again. He was gone, but now he's home. Friends, listen to the heart of God. He is clearly telling us that people matter to Him. He is clearly telling us that if someone is lost, He hasn't given up on them. He is clearly communicating that the biggest celebrations in heaven are when one has been far from God and becomes his child and comes home. There is a, a bit in the story about that older brother and his jealousy. The older brother represented the religious leaders who 
didn't want these sinners to come to God. And they were not willing to lift a finger to bring lost people to God. But remember back where the conversation started? These religious leaders were complaining about Jesus hanging out with those sinners. The older brother complained that a party was happening for his younger wayward brother who didn't deserve it. And what did the father say to him? The last verse, verse 32. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Friends, God lost something and he wants it back. And the Bible is his letter to us Revealing his love for us. You know, letters are a way to show someone that you're thinking of them. It's a way of expressing your love for them. And many of you know that we're trying to get our house ready to, to sell. And um, as, as we've been cleaning up stuff and getting boxes and going through stuff, Christy came across this letter. Now, now, you can just tell by the paper, the color of the paper. This is a pretty old letter. It is dated June 26, 1974. Now, how many of you weren't even born in 1974? Let's see. Oh, man, this letter is older than you are. And the letter is addressed to Tim and Mike. Dear Tim and Mike. And the fact that it was written to both of us and it was written during the summer tells me that both of us were at camp. We were at camp up at what was Roanoke Bible College. That was the camp I grew up going to. But it was a letter that my mother sent to us. Um, she lets us know, uh, she added that she thought some of my friends were trying to pull something on me. <laughs> uh, and what we would do at camp is if you got three letters in one day, you had to get up and sing or do something. And so she's right. That's what they were trying to do. But the content of the letter is basically just giving us an update on the week, something about our cat, um, you know, something about our grandmother that she had, had to take her to the doctor and Something about the girls in the neighborhood, and there was some encouragement to my brother Mike. But you know what the, that letter tells me is that my mother loved me. My, my mother loved my brother. And she was thinking of us as we were there. Friends, isn't that the gist of the Bible? God loves us. And even when we are gone, even when we walk away, even when we are in the dark, he loves us. And those he loves, he wants to rescue. Fanny Crosby wrote an old hymn. How many of you know that old hymn, Rescue the Perishing? Raise your hand if you've heard that song before. See? Probably over half the people here have never heard this song, but you're going to hear it today. 
It was written in 1869. But I want you to think about the words. If you know the song, now we're going to have the words come up on the screen, but if you know the song, Katie would like you to join her in singing the song. Am I right, Katie? You would like, you would like the help on that? So, Katie, you take us through this song, Rescue the Perishing. Katie, and she's going she's gonna to keep playing a little bit. That song is as true today as it was in 1869. Do you all know that? They were true when Jesus spoke the parables to the religious leaders. There are souls who are lost. There are souls to be saved. And every one of us were at one time listed in that number, a lost soul. Someone came to us and shared the love of Jesus with us. And I hope you'll come back next week as we begin to see how God wants us to do the help, to help Him to reach those who are lost. Right now, what you need to know is that God loves you more than anyone on earth can love you. And I know that God loves me more than my own mother could love me. And I also know that God loves Christy and my daughters more than I could ever love them. God has done more to save all of us than any of us could ever do for our family members or loved ones. God loves my friends more than I could ever hope to love them. But the cool thing is this, God invites me 
to join him as he finds those who are lost. You may think God has given up on you. You may think God doesn't care about you. You may think your sin is too much even for Jesus to cover. You may think or buy into the thought that you have sinned so badly that the only way God would take you back is if you were less than his child. That humble spirit, I think, is needed in order for us to repent. But you need to get this. When you come home to God, he isn't waiting to crush you. He isn't waiting to ridicule you. He isn't waiting to cast you into a dungeon. He is waiting to run to you. He is waiting to wrap his arms around you. He is waiting to kiss you and throw a party in celebration for you. He lost you somewhere. You walked away at some point, but he has never stopped loving you or wanting you to come home. And if you don't know Christ, or you've never asked him to be your personal savior, or even repented of the sin that separated you from him, or been baptized into Christ, friend, I've got good news for you. You can make that decision today. I want you to pray in your heart as I pray out loud. Allow God to move in your heart. Father God, thank you for your matchless love. Thank you that you don't hate us for walking away from you. Thank you that you are waiting, loving, and ready to welcome us home. There is someone here today that needs to decide to come home. They're holding back for some reason. Maybe it's pride. Maybe they just want to hold on to the sin in their life that has separated them from you. Maybe they believe the lies of the enemy as he tells them, you're no good, you're worthless, God doesn't want you, your sin is so bad, even Jesus' blood can't cleanse you. Father, may your spirit speak to them right now. Move in them, move in their hearts, Lord. Move them to see your pure love and help them to respond to that love. Father, help all of us who have come to you recognize that there are still those who are lost. Help us to care about what you have lost. Open our eyes and open our ears to those who are spiritually blind. Help us to know your heart, Father, and to realize that you want to use us to reach those in our sphere of influence. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.